0: Introduce the series that we're doing. For those who are first-time guests, we've been doing a series called Gifted. And I'm super excited about this series because it talks about the gift that God has given us already. And really what the scripture has to say about that. And the last week we had a wonderful message by Pastor Miriam talking about the gift of motherhood. Right? The power of being a mother. This week we'll continue to dive into our series on Gifted. And the topic we're talking about today is something I feel the Lord has given me so many revelations on. really convicted and changed my life. Just in the couple of weeks I've been studying this. I've ch- rearranged my life because of this topic. We're going to talk about fanning the flames of our gifting. Now, just a disclaimer. Um, if you took this message seriously, if a small group of you really took this message seriously and started applying it, I truly believe in all my heart we will radically change our community. So I'm going to give you the headline right now, okay? Can we put that slide? The headline. This is the takeaway, okay? This is the summary. This is what I believe. Your spiritual gifts are God's ordained way to consistently demonstrate his out-of-this-world power to advance his kingdom on earth. That's the takeaway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go around and, and get to it. But your spiritual gift that God's given you is God's chosen vessel to consistently demonstrate his power on earth. My, my, and my hope is as you walk out here today, walk out church today, there will be a renewed hunger, desire to stir up that gift, to fan the flame of your gift. So let's get to the passage. We're in 2 Timothy today, chapter 1, verse 2 to 7. Paul's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and, Lo- and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The Lord I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. So here you see that Paul is greeting Timothy, not as just another member of the church, not just as a, a cog in the wheel or, or just another person, but really as a spiritual father to a spiritual son. He shows genuine affection. He really have Timothy's best interest in mind. We continue in verse 5. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you shared the faith that filled your grandmother Lois and, her mother, and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. See, right now, Paul's reminding Timothy of his legacy. He's saying, look at these great women of God, your mother, your grandmother, who has poured their faith into you. Remember your legacy. Remember remember the legacy of faith. In verse 6, he says, this is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I lay my hands on you. And this is the meat of the message. Paul's reminding his spiritual son to fan into flame. The spiritual gift. Now, using that analogy about fanning into flame, okay, it makes me think that our spiritual gifts are like embers. Okay, let's put a picture of embers up. You guys know what these are, right? Small pieces of burning or glowing coal or wood in a dying fire. See, to me, burning—I mean, uh, the embers are a decision point. Okay, you guys all been there before, like a campfire. You, you, you know, you're roasting your marshmallows, and then the, night the fire's dead, dying, and then you just got embers left. There's a couple things you can do to embers, right? You can either pour a bucket of cold water on it to kill it, or you can isolate it and make sure there's no more fuel and then and let it die by itself. Or you can put more fuel, more wood on it and reignite the flames. And let's be real here. For many of us, if not most of us, if embers is our gift... Those embers are dying or they're dead. For, for a very obvious reason, a lot of us don't even know what our gifts are, let alone how to fan into flame. You no, know, I put this quote up there about Tiger Woods' father. There's a famous story about how Tiger Woods' dad trained Tiger Woods. Okay? As a young age, I'm gonna summarize it. Basically, his, his dad, Earl Woods, has an eye to see talent. Okay? At not even one year old, Earl Woods saw Tiger Wood hit a golf ball perfectly. He ran out of his garage and said to his wife, we have a genius at hand. His father had an eye for this gift. And once he saw, it, he honed it, he trained his son, he pushed his son, he made him, he sharpened him so that Tiger Woods became one of the best golfers ever. Now the problem is most of us do not have a father like that, that has an eye for our spiritual gifts. Or a mentor or a spiritual leader that comes to you and says, hey, you have a spiritual gift in this. Fan into flame. Most of us don't have that. That's just the reality. So we forget about our gift. It's natural for us to neglect our gift. And that's why Paul had to say to Timothy, I want to remind you. The reason he says I remind you because we often forget. So the truth is, most of our gifts, most of our embers are dying and they are dead. But the good news is the Holy Spirit, even today, wants to breathe fire into those embers again. Do you believe it? Now, I want you guys to personalize this. I want to make this personal. This is interactive right now. I want to ask you to think about one, just one spiritual gift that God's given you that you have left on the shelf. You have left in the basement. You haven't even opened up the box. Or maybe you did. You worked on it for a while, but then now it's dusted. Just focus on that one. I'm going to give you five seconds. Think about that one gift right now. Five, four, three, two, one. This gift might be hospitality. It might be encouragement. It might be spiritual discernment. It might be evangelism, helping, administration, showing mercy, intercession. It might be teaching. It might be prof- prophecy. Just focus on that gift. We're going to come back to that gift. If you're ready to reignite the flames of this gift... Let's keep reading. Verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, I've used this verse tons of times before. You might have used this verse time of time before. You might have heard people preach on this verse. But I have never heard this verse in the context of reigniting the flames of your spiritual gift. It's interesting how we often use these verses and not even realize what it's really talking about. See, Paul's making a powerful contrast here. He's contrasting fear and timidity, power, love, and self control or self discipline. What he did here is he laid out the roadmap to either kill the embers or reignite the embers. So remember, three things you can do to your embers, right? You can pour cold water and kill it, you can neglect it, isolate it. Make sure no fuel is there and let it die out by itself. Or you can rekindle the flames. I want to talk about each one of these. I'm going to go to timidity first. Timidity caused the slow death of your gift. Timidity is the neglect of your gift and let it die by itself. You don't treasure it. You don't develop it. You forget about it. And by itself, it corrodes. It dies. What caused the spirit of Timidity. What caused you to be timid about your gift? The curse of comparing your gift to other people. The curse of comparison. There's two simple ways for us to compare our gifts to other people. The first way is when we're envious of other people's gifts. We say, yeah, I know God's given me the gift of mercy, but man, I wish I'm like him. I wish I had the gift of prophecy. Or man, I know I've been given the gift of helps or of giving, but man, I wish I had the gift of teaching. Somewhere along the lines, we are told a lie and we eternalize that lie that God has good gifts that he gives to only his select few, and then he gives his redder second-class gifts to the rest of us. Somewhere we bought into the lie that some gifts are better than other gifts. That is a lie. Every single one of these gifts that God has given are good gifts for his purpose. The second way we compare ourselves it's the level of the gifts. We get envious of other people's level of gifting. And I hope this resonates with you because I know these are things that I fight all the time. God's given me maybe uh, the gift of teaching. But I can't teach like Pastor Ron. I can't teach at that level. Therefore, there's no point to even develop my gifting. There's no point for, even, for me to exercise my gifting. Or, yeah, God's given me a, a degree, a measure of gifting to sing and to do worship. But I can't sing like a Hannah or a Greg. I can't seem like them. No, so I'm just going to abandon it. It's not worth it anyways. What that does is we internalize a lie that says unless we are the best in this field, in this this gifted area, our gift is worthless. Because of those lies we internalize, we become timid. We start, we start getting insecure. We start feeling inadequate. And what that does, what comparison does, it involves false humility, insecurity, and we neglect the joy and appreciation of, God that, of the gift that God has given us, and we neglect our gift. That's timidity. And let's talk about fear. In the context of exercising your gift, what does fear look like? If timidity is neglecting your gift and leaving it alone, and just letting it die. Fear is the devil coming with a cold bucket of water and just pouring that all over your embers. If I was the devil, and the devil is alive and real, I would do everything I can to make sure I keep fear between you and your designated weapon from God to destroy my work. Wouldn't you? I would make sure that every time you even get close to coming towards fe- uh, to your gift, you will feel fear. And this is what he does. This is how he does it. In the development, in the activation of your gifting, the devil comes and drops the dirty bomb in your lap that yells at you, don't you ever do this again. I'll give you some examples. Some of these are real. They're all real, actually. If you may have the gift of mercy or gift of giving or gift of showing compassion, and you're activating, you're working on it, you're practicing that early when you're still trying to figure out who you are and what your giftings are. Somebody who you show love and compassion on repays you by stabbing you in the back. And then you say to yourself, that was painful. That was traumatic. I am never doing that again. How often has that happened to the body of Christ? When you're reaching out, when you're practicing, and and you're repaid with a painful, traumatic experience. That's the devil trying to throw fear, fear, fear at you. What about this? When you're learning how to teach, when you're learning to activate the gift of teaching and to communicate and to talk, a a spiritual authority figure or some type of authority figure comes to you and say, you know what, when you were just teaching right there, everyone fell asleep. No one cared. Dirty bomb in your lap. In fact, that actually happened to me when I was in college. Fear quenches the gift in your heart, often harsh and early, so you are too traumatized to do again, to go back to your gifting again. I want you to think back to that gift that we were talking about, that that hidden gift, that gift that's been dusted off. Has timidity and fear caused you to neglect, to avoid your gifting? So because of fear and timidity, this may be what your gift looks like today. Show that picture. Ashes. Just be real, right? For many of us, our spiritual gift looks like that right now. But I'm just going to pray right now. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to resurrect. I'm going to make this real practical. So just join me in prayer right now. Holy Spirit, I ask, you know the measure of gifting that pour into our hearts. And you know the treasure that you have given every single one of us. And I just ask you right now to breathe life and breathe fire. Unto the embers of our gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready to reignite the gift? I need a little more response. I need some fire. You ready to reignite these gifts? All right, so we just gave the bad news, right? Now we're going to get to the good news. This is the exciting part. Fanning the flames are your gift. And Paul gives you a blueprint for that. He says power, love, and discipline. Now I'm going to go in reverse order because I kind of like to be dramatic. Okay, so I'm going to talk about discipline first. Okay, this is interesting. For some reason, we think in terms of our spiritual gifts, we think just because God gave you the spiritual gift, we don't have to practice it. We don't have to hone it. We don't have to train it. It just kind of comes upon you when you start acting. Like if you have the gift of prophecy, you don't ever need to practice it, hone it, train it. One day the spirit of God comes upon you, you just start prophesying. But the problem is no other gifts work that way. Okay, for example, if you have the gift of music or you, you, are, you have the gift of playing piano, what do you have to do? Do you never practice? You never even touch the piano? One day you just go by piano and the spirit of Mozart comes upon you and you start composing perfect music? Or maybe you have the, the gift of playing basketball. You know, you have all that skill coordination and so forth, but you never practice, never learn how to dribble, never go through a game. And one day you just show up and the spirit of Michael Jordan enters you and you start dunking the basketball. Does, does it work like that? No. Every single gift requires that you start from scratch. Practice it. Discipline. Learn. As a pianist, you gotta do the finger exercise and scales and basketball. You gotta learn how to dribble basketball and shoot free throws. It's the same thing with our spiritual gifts. We have to practice it with discipline. We have to hone it. We have to actively train it. I want to give you exam- an uh, example through the parable of talents in Matthew 25. I want you to look at this parable of talents through a fresh perspective. So a master, a wealthy master, he's going away for a long time. He brought three servants before him. He gave one servant five talents of money based on his ability, another servant two talents, and the last servant one talent based on their ability. And he went off for a long time. Okay, we're going to continue in verse 16. And then he who received the five talents went and traded with them, and he made five talents. Okay, he produced 100% return on the investment. Same thing happened with a person with two. But check it out. The one who only received one talent went and dig in the ground and dug a hole and hid his master's money. Verse 19. After a long time. I'm going to come back to that. After a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts. So he talked to the guy with five towns. He says, I brought five more. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Then he said the same thing to the one with two talents because he returned two more talents. But then he came to the servant with one talent, the guy who dug the hole and buried it. He said, Lord, you need to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your town in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. And note the master's response. He didn't say, Man, I understand your fear. He didn't say, I sympathize with your fear and your inadequacies. This is what the master said You wicked and lazy servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I will receive back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For who, to everyone who has more will be given, he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Again, let's get real practical here. What does that mean for us? He said, I did a little research in, into five talents. What five talents mean in practical today money. Some scholars estimate five talents to be millions and millions of dollars. So this is a large sum of money. Okay. Other more conservatively measure to be more like $300,000. So let's go with that. Okay. 300 grand. Someone comes to you and say, I'm going to give you $300,000. Great news, right? Uh, But when I return, I'm expecting 100% return on your money. Now, I'm a kind of an amateur investor right now. I'm trying to work on a couple different things. And I'm learning it's really hard to get a good, profitable return on your money. It's actually really, really difficult. I actually kind of resonate with the guy with one talent who buried the money because he didn't want to lose it. That actually, for some of you entrepreneurs out there, you're like, 300 grand, no problem. I'll, get it. I'll make 100 returns, return, no problem. But for most of us, that is a daunting task. So for many of us, that might be our reaction. is take the money, bury it, or maybe just put it in checking account, make your 0.2 percent interest whatever, and see what happens. But let's go back to the mind of the guy with five talents. So after his master just dropped him off 300 grand, expecting quite a bit of return, what do you think this guy did? What do you think this guy with five talents do? My guess was he'd probably start joining an investment club. He's probably reading some business book. He's probably reading some, listening to some podcasts on leadership and investing. He probably found a mentor to say, hey, teach me how to invest. How do we better do this? He might have started a business. And he might have bankrupt that business because he, he is his first business. He probably failed a couple times. But he had to pick himself back up, learn from his mistakes because he knows his master is coming back for an account. He could not afford to be down. He had to make his money back. Because he knows what is required of him. You know why the the scripture says after a long time the master returned? It's because the master knows it takes a long time for us to to master, to become expertise in our talents. Now some people estimate it takes about 10,000 hours for you to become an expert in a field. There is an expectation from God for us to master, to practice, to train, to perhaps fail, pick ourselves back up, learn from our mistakes, and keep going in terms of our talents and ability. So let's go back to that gift. That one gift we talked about earlier, right? The one in your mind that you're thinking, this is my gift. I, have been, I haven't really been practicing, honing it. Going back to this gift. I'm going to ask you the question, what does it take for you to produce a 100% return of this gift to the Lord? What does that mean? Now the answer to that question is between you and Jesus, because only Jesus knows how much talent you were given. But I do know this one thing. You will not be able to produce 100% return unless you are disciplined to practice and train your gift. So it turns out, it turns out one of my gifts is teaching. You might say, are you sure about that? To which my response would be, if you think this is bad, watch me demonstrate a gift of mercy on you. That's even worse. <laughs> in other words, I don't really have a gift of mercy. <laughs> and it's pretty funny when I try to practice it. Um, but you know, regardless if I have a five-talent degree in teaching or a 0.1 talent degree in teaching, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what degree it is. What matters is, I make sure I give my 100%. I make sure I maximize this gift. So, this is the same reason why, after every time I preach or teach, I painfully make myself watch my video. If you've never done this before and you feel like a good time to torture yourself, go ahead and do that. Watch yourself teach. Or listen to your celebration on podcasts or something like that. Oh, it's excruciating. I have to basically duct tape my eyes open to make, my, make sure I'm watching the whole thing. I mean, every mispronounced word, every bad joke that didn't land, every weird body language. I am mean, keep touching this. I don't even know who I am. I should probably move this to the side. <laughs> you capture everything. You're like, man, why do I keep doing that? I don't even know I'm doing that in that moment. Why do I speak that word so funny and no one laughs? I mean, it is painful. But do you know why I do it? Because I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. Experts apparently say that the best way to be a better communicator is watch yourself do it. Oh, it's so painful. But I make myself do it. I listen to good podcasts. I listen to good communication. I actually started listening to a podcast on stand-up comedies. Do I want to be a stand-up comedian? No, I don't. I, I could care less for that. I'm trying to learn how to communicate better. I listen to good sermon, not just for the content, but for the delivery. Why? Because I want to get better. After every sermon, I go to my wife, I say, hey, give me the last 10%. Good, bad, and ugly, just let me know. Why? Because I am trying to get better. And that's just one talent, one gift I'm trying to maximize. Why? Because I know the master's coming one day, and he wants to sell account. What have you done With your talent, have you been disciplined? See, what, what this happens is when God sees that you treasure what he treasures, I want to remind you, the gift that you've been given was not free. They were bought by the blood of Christ. When he ascended on high, he said he gave gifts to men. This gift is precious to our Father. And when he sees you treasuring and practicing and honing your gift... All he wants to do, the Father's heart is pour out more, pour out more, and pour out more. And it kindles, it kindles the flames of your gifting. So that's discipline. Everyone got discipline? We'll move on to love. Check my time here. Now love speaks to the character, to the infrastructure that you need to host your gift. It turns out you could have all the talent of the world. You could be the best teacher, the best communicator. You have the most accurate prophetic word, but if you have not loved, you've gained nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I will only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have to give the prophecy, if I understand all God's secret plan and possess all knowledge, if I have such faith that I can move mountains, but I did not love, then I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. But check it out. This is the tricky part. Here's the trick. You might think the character I'm talking about here is having the love of God for others and loving God and loving others. That's not what I'm talking about. You will never have enough love to do that. The love here, the word love here is used is the agape love, the unconditional love of God. This love, this type of love, cannot be manufactured, it cannot be synthesized, it cannot be willed into existence. No discipline or training can produce this type of love. Rather, what I'm talking about is this character is for you to every day, habitually, the habit. Of going before the presence of God and receiving his precious love for you. You you see the distinction? I'm not talking about willpower. I'm not talking about training. I'm talking about an attitude of humility and a faith to go daily into what I call the waterfall of God's love. and Soak up his love for you. His intimacy with you. And only out of the overflow of God's love can you truly love God and love others. That's the only way. Now, I'll make it real practical. This is what it looks like. And this is, this is practical in my own life. You know, every once in a while, probably more often than, than not, I get lacking in love. I get annoyed. I get frustrated. I come home, and I look at my kids yelling and screaming, climb over me. I'm like, oh, I can't handle this. I'm impatient with my wife. I'm impatient with everything. Uh, people just annoy me. I'll be real. Can I be real here? I'm just like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle this. And and instead of going back and saying, you know what, Andrew, you just need to will into more love. You got to be more patient. Tomorrow you're going to just be a better pastor, better father, just be more loving, more kind. What I need to do instead is recognize that there's a deficit of love in my heart, that I miss my father. And without my father, without his intimacy with him, I'm just a grumpy, grumpy. In Asian Joe, we call it a bitter melon because that's what we actually eat. I'm just a bitter melon. So what I need to do is quickly run back into the waterfall. I tell my wife, hey, babe, I need some time alone. I need to get back into his presence. The waterfall of his intimacy with me. and know that my father is for me. He loves me. He wants to embrace me. He looks at me with love, with compassion. It's not fake. I can't manufacture this. I need his precious love to fill my heart. And after I spend time with him, I am naturally transformed. I don't need to worry about manufacturing love or patience or kindness or mercy or forgiveness. My heart is full out of the overflow of God's compassion for me. I can be compassionate toward others. Out of the overflow of his kindness for me. I can be kind to others. How about we ingrain this into the habit of our lives so every day we go before the God to make sure our love meter is full so we can flow into other people. First John chapter 4 says this, this is real love, not that we love God, but that he love us and send his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Later in verse 19 says this, we love each other because he loved us So how does this discipline of receiving God kindles the flames of our gifting? It's because of this. You know we talk about what kills the flames of our gifting, right? Fear and timidity. Fear and timidity. But do you know what is the perfect weapon against fear? It's not courage. The perfect weapon against fear is the love of God. Scripture says this. Such love has no fear because perfect love casts out or expels all fear. You see, our fears of failures, our fears of disappointment, of rejection, of being taken advantage of, fears of inadequacy, all that yucky stuff that makes us compare, that makes us shrink back, all that dissipates, all that is cast away when we anchor our identity in the real experience of God's love. So when we are anchored in God's love, fear and timidity has absolutely no room. It cannot even penetrate. Our flame or our gifting is burning bright. Now, finally, I'm going to end on power. I saved the best for last. That's where I started reverse order. Let's share a quick story from um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, like a good citizen, I wrote a letter to my elected representative. Uh, who sh- shall not be named. But I wrote, I wrote the person a letter um, concerning a legislation coming up. Uh, in my opinion, this legislation is bad ideas, very unjust. So I composed a letter, wrote it to him. Uh, a couple hours later, I got a letter back, <clears throat> um, basically saying, appreciate you writing the letter, but I disagree, and here's why. His rationale didn't really make sense to me. So I took An hour or so, composer, really nice, really nice, you'd be proud of me, really nice, um, but a reason responds to his rationale, basically saying this does not make sense, and here's why. I even had my wife read it, and she says, okay, it's nice, you can send it. (laughs) Um, So I send it, and two seconds later, I got a reply in my inbox. You know something's wrong when you get a reply that quickly, right? So the inbox basically says, the, 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 the email you just wrote went to an unmanned mailbox. In other words, no one's going to read that. And I was so upset. You know, sometimes you get more upset than you should be. You're like, I really shouldn't be this upset right now, but I'm really upset. I don't know why. And I felt the Holy Ghost spoke to me. says, hey, you need to dig a little bit. Okay? This is, th- You're more frustrated and upset than the circumstance demands. So I calmed myself down and thought to myself, why am I so frustrated? Why am I so upset? And I felt the reason is because because I felt powerless. I felt powerless. You guys ever know that feeling when you see a train wreck happening right before your eyes? You know it's happening. You, you, You can tell. You can predict it. But you're like, oh, stop it. But you are powerless to stop it. Man, that's a terrible, terrible feeling. And for me, it caused frustration, anger, fear, all kind of things. But then I heard the Lord spoke to me. He says, "You feel this conflict in your heart because you were never meant to feel powerless. I meant for you to be powerful." I'm like, "God, I don't I don't feel very powerful right now. In fact, I, most of my life I haven't felt very powerful." He says, That's because there's a proper channel for me, for you to be a vessel for my power. And that is through your spiritual gifts. See, his gift for you, that gift we were talking about that you've hidden away, that gift is God's chosen vessel, chosen conduit to defeat the forces of evil, to advance the kingdom of God, and to set the captives free. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking that just doesn't resonate with me. I don't really experience that. It doesn't really mean. If if I'm using my gift of mercy, I don't feel very powerful. If I'm using my gift of helps or maybe teaching, I don't necessarily feel the power of God. I want to help you out here. What makes a gift powerful? It's not necessary. the expression. It's the source. What makes the gift powerful is not the vessel necessarily. It's the source. And I want to tell you what is the source of your power. The Bible, the word for power in this case, they use the word dunamis. Dunamis is the same word we get dynamite from. Dynamite. Dunamis power is the Holy Ghost miraculous power of God. Like the same power, of the power of the Red Seas. Okay? The same power that raised Christ like dead 3 days into heaven. That's the same word, the dunamis power. I like to call the dynamite holy ghost power. That is the power source behind your gift. You know, even this past week with the funeral and the wake, I saw so many of us practicing the gift of hospitality, the gift of giving, the gift of mercy, the gift of compassion. And don't tell me there's no, such, there's no power behind those acts. There was power there to encourage. There was power there to heal hearts. There was power there to comfort, to serve. There's true power behind your gifting that we don't understand. And I just want to share one last, last nugget. Now the Lord often shares with me Pictures. He gives me pictures to help, to teach, to preach. Some people get dreams. Some people use the scriptures. For me, the Lord often gives me pictures. I want to paint this picture for you. This is what the Lord showed me about our gifting. So I have this picture. I felt like we were all in a field. When I say we, I meant our church body, the church body of the United States. We're all in this field, and we're crying out to God. In front of us is this huge, corrupt, decrepit building. Okay, this building is just bad, bad news, dangerous, should not be there. And we're out to God. Say, Jesus, Jesus, will you tear down this building? Will you tear down this harmful building? And will you build a new foundation? Will you build a bright new building, a place of refuge, a place of rest for everyone? God, would you do this powerful thing? Use your power, use your power, do great things. And have this picture of Jesus with his arms folded. It was a funny look in his face. And he asked us a question. He pointed to someone. He says, let me ask you a question. You're asking me to do this powerful thing. Why do you think I gave you a bulldozer? Maybe it's because that same bulldozer that's in your backyard that you never even started. There's no gasoline, no fuel, no diesel in there. It's a toy right now. It's all rusted. Vines have grown all over it. You, you have forgotten this in your backyard. Let me ask you a question. Why did I give you that bulldozer? And how about you? You want me to tear down these walls. Why do you think I gave you a hammer? Yeah, that same hammer, the handle's broken. You don't even know where it is now. Why do you think I gave you this hammer? And how about you? Why do you think I gave you a power drill? Yeah, the same power drill that's a paperweight right now that you have never even plugged into the wall. He says, instead of asking me to use my power to tear down and to build back up, why not you go back and find the gifts I gave you? Why don't you learn how to use it, dust it off, fix it, repair it, train, learn, home, practice it, and watch the power that will flow through you? Your gift is my chosen way. To demonstrate my power in you. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Is that the reality we see in churches in America today? That's not what I see. And one of the problems is this that we no longer treasure that every single one of us, every single one of you, not just the pastors, Not just the ministers, every single one of you has been given a mandate to exercise God's power. If we truly, even just a handful of you, truly believe that, activate it, hone it, practice it, have the character to receive God's love in humility and in passion, our churches and our community will be fundamentally transformed. So this is my goal. My goal is to produce repentance in us. Now repentance, as I learned a couple days ago, really is just a change in how we think. Literally the Greek word is changing how we think. That when you, this is how you should think. When you exercise your gift with training, with discipline, when you have a heart full of love from the Lord... There is a promise of God's power, a supernatural effectiveness that cannot be explained, that will channeled through you. So those with the gift of teaching, when you start teaching, all of a sudden miraculous eyes will be open, minds will be open to the truth. Those with the gift of mercy start showing compassion, hearts who've been hurt for decades and decades, and bitterness, anger will also be healed. Those with the gift of hospitality start offering their their gifts and their talents. People who are far from church, who have been displaced, who's been neglected, all of a sudden connected and comes back to the body of Christ. Those with the gift of encouragement and exhortation start practicing their gift and power comes and hearts are encouraged and living again. And there's power and there's transformation and there's repentance and they start making good decisions again. Oh, as a pastor, I'm telling you, I've been a pastor for less than a year. I need to see people with gift of exhortation be activated because I see hurtful people, discouraged people all the time. And I see men and women with the gift of exhortation or encouragement just saying, Oh, my gift is not a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. I could use it all day long. Come to me, I will put you to work. Sorry, side note, side note. Those with the gift of administration and helps start to exercise their gift. And the church miraculously starts to grow. We don't even know how. It just starts to grow. Why? Because the source of the power is not our own talent or ability. It's the supernatural, holy ghost, dynamite power that we can't even explain. How did that work? I don't even know. You know, when I heard Billy Graham preach one time, I was amazed. Check this out. Because when he preached, I could not sense any special teaching or special revelation. It was just to me a common, a common sermon. But after he preached, thousands would come and give their lives to the Lord. And that's when I realized he had the, the source of his gift is not in him. The source of his evangelism gift is in the Holy Ghost doing them his power. And that to me says, "Man, this gift thing is deep, is deep, is deep." So, can you cast that vision? Can you cast this vision with me? How much are we missing on the power of God because we have neglected our gifts? I hope to stir up that hunger in your heart. The hunger to say, what has God given me? I know some of you, you might not even know your gifting. As we continue in this series, as we dive into the scripture and talk about specific gifts, we're going to talk, we're going to help you find your gifts. We're going to help you hone it, practice it, sharpen it. But what I want to do today is stir up, stir up that longing. And if you know there's a gift in you that God's given you, that you have left it in your backyard. You have left it in the basement, in your attic, would you be encouraged to go and dig it back out? To open up those boxes and say, hey, God gave me that for a reason. Maybe the church needs it. Maybe the body of Christ needs it. Maybe our community needs it. Maybe this world needs it. And I guarantee we absolutely need it. So, if you can catch this vision with me, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want to pray. I want to pray for our gifts. I want to pray for your gifts. I want to pray for your heart. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and reignite the flames of our gifting this morning. Okay. So if that's what you want, I just want to ask you to raise your hand. To raise your hand. Father, we come before you, Lord, with humility, with a hunger in our hearts. Father, we've... Full confession, Lord, we do not want to be the servant of one talent and bury our talents. We know there's fear and timidity at our door. But, Lord, give us your passionate love to expel all fears, all lies of comparison. But, Lord, you have given us gift. Whether it's one talent or five talent. they're precious gifts from you, Lord. And Lord, just with us, with our hearts, will you help us multiply? Will you help us treasure it? Will you help us love it? Will you help us hone it and practice and train it? And Lord, I pray for those who don't have any idea what our gifts are. Lord, will you speak to us? Will you teach us? Will you show us? Will you bring us men and women of God who can help us identify our gifts, hone it, and train it? And Lord, we say these gifts are not for ourselves. The demonstration of power is not for our own needs. It's for this world. It's for your kingdom. And it's for your glory. So even right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will activate. You will turn those embers into fire once again for your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.